0: And now, here's the episode. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. I'm always happy when I get to see your faces. Uh, Today, I'm kind of extra happy because today I came to church and got to see Natasha's face. Natasha's back. Hey, everybody. There she is. She's back there. We made it. Oh, my gosh. I know you guys were fine. I made it. Okay. Uh, So glad that that she's back with us. Uh, We're going to jump into the message in just a minute here. I just got something. You ever just, I don't know, just get something spinning around in your spirit and you can't can't push it aside. um, And, you know, there's just something there. And I've been doing that all morning, just something sort of churning around in my gut. Um, and in the first service, I had to share it before I could move on and preach as well. So same same deal here. This is the idea I, I can't get away from. I, I really do think it's from the Lord, even though it's vague. You know, I, I want things to be more, more clear sometimes, and that's just not the reality in this particular moment. But I, I do think it's from the Lord. This idea that I can't seem to get away from, and, and I really think this is a, a man or men, but that might just be my own stereotypes that are dictating that, because, well, you'll see, but... I feel like there are some folks perhaps in our church who um, are feeling tremendously exposed right now because um, they've got identity wrapped up in always having it together. We've got identity wrapped up in being unflappable, you know, like that's what I do. That's how I serve my family. That's I, I've got it. I'm unflappable and and they're looking around and kind of going, I feel I'm pretty, pretty flapped right now. <laughs> and you're thinking, I feel exposed because I'm not sure that I can hide it or that I am, am hiding it. And maybe everybody knows that I'm just kind of barely hanging on. Um, if that's the case, and again, this, this could just be my own musings. I want to be clear about that. Um, but I don't think so. If that's the case, here's what I, I think the Lord would, would want to say to you. And I think very much what we would want to hear, as I put myself in those shoes, I've been in those shoes, um, what we'd want to hear is that God's going to fix it, he's going to make it okay, and most importantly, you won't be exposed as, as being a person who doesn't always have it all together. And I think the Lord would, would want to say, like that actually wouldn't be the kindest thing for him to do. There's a real kindness in um, the word getting out, that you're not unflappable. Because if you are able to keep up the ruse that you're invincible and you've got it all under control, then the fact is um, you just have to go it alone. And sometimes it's the kindness of the Lord to let you get to a breaking point where you just can't keep up that those appearances any longer. And It gives us then the opportunity to lean on community, to lean on family, to lean on people we love and trust, to walk with us. Um, And so if that's where you're at at all, I I think I'm I'm sure the Lord cares deeply about the circumstance. But I think what he wants to point to right now is it's 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 a kindness to be exposed as not having it all together, because then you're not alone. Um, And his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So um, so. If that's for you, take it and run with it. If if not, then then we'll look at the Bible now, and can, hopefully there's something in there you can take and run with. All right, um, we're continuing our series. We actually wrapped this one up. Next week, we'll be done with the book of Galatians, and so well done, everybody. And we're in chapter 6 now, the last chapter of the book, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 10 today. We looked at some of those verses last week, um, but we're going to sort of... Um, uh, work our way through some others as well. Um, last week, you may remember what we focused on was a question of what exactly is it that we owe one another as brothers and sisters of Christ? If I call you uh, the family of God and you're my brother and my sister in Christ, what does that mean I owe you? What do we owe one another? Um, that's what we worked with, and I think that was there in the text. Um, today, same text mainly, different question, uh, and the question is what, do we, what actually do we owe to our, for ourselves, And and put a little bit finer point on that. Like, how do we set up ourselves for success in life with Jesus? All right, not success as the world defines it, but um, for ourselves, what is it that the Lord would say, hey, hey, You need to do this for yourself if you're going to be able to move forward in walking with our King. So um, that's what we're looking at now. First couple of verses here. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, uh, if you were here last week, that was our emphasis. Um, we share one another's burdens. We help each other up when we fall. We do it without blaming. We do it without arrogance. It's it's challenging to do so, uh, but we're we're encouraged to do so. And then here in this next verse, there's a there's a shift. I think to what we're to do for ourselves are part of what we're supposed to do, even though it doesn't read that way right off, but we'll get there. Verse three, it says, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now it's sort of a strange verse. Um I don't I don't think it reads very clearly. Um I I think our first glance may not be correct when we read this. Um this isn't saying that we're nothing. Like it sounds kind of mean. Like you're nothing, and you need to accept it. You're nothing. All right, but it's, it isn't saying we're nothing in the sense that we don't matter. If that's the case, why would, did he just tell us to take really good care of each other? All right. So that, wouldn't, that doesn't check out. This is about recognizing that without Jesus, we're just completely lost. Without Jesus, we have nothing. And very importantly here, this is also about recognizing, this is a tough pill for some to swallow, recognizing that we're not at the center of the story. That we're not—it's just not about us, right? And and I, I think if we're not intentional to push against this, we do have a tendency to sort of move out in the world as if we're the sun and everything revolves around us. And, and, and if I don't push against it, I will, I'll view everything through the lenses of Aaron, all right? And what does this mean for me? And how does this affect me? And how does this impact me and the people I love and the people that I care about the most? And I tend to see the world through my own lenses and what the scripture is saying, I think very clearly is like, that's not a correct perspective. You're not the center of the story. You're Even your life isn't really about you. It's about joining God in the renewal of all things. It's about seeing what he's doing and joining him in it. We're not the answer. We're just not the answer. Um, Later, we'll get to this verse next week, but in verse 14, Paul says, As for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer. He's he's everything. Like if Christ is all in all, then what that leaves for me is nothing and nothing. (laughs) Like that's what this is pointing to. Um, So I know this reads kind of mean. All right, you're nothing. But actually, this is just, it's a simple call to humility. I'm I'm about to read you a phenomenal quote from Tim Keller. Don't worry, it's short, but it's really good. Is everybody leaning in? Okay, here we go. Humility isn't about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. That's it. Not enough oohs and ahs. I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Humility isn't about thinking less of yourself. And I know that's the default. Oh, I gotta be humble. I'm worthless, I'm the scum of the air. No, 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 no. It's not about seeing yourself and thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. It's about moving out into the world as if you're not the center. Moving out into the world, looking through the lenses of other people and caring about the needs and concerns of other people and it not constantly going through your personal filters. It's about thinking of yourself less, not thinking less of yourself. There's actually a real freedom in knowing that this is your father's world and it's not yours. There's actually freedom in that. Um, uh, There's a personal situation that I'm working my way through right now. Uh, it's it's no it's no one in my in my household immediate family but but there is a really gnarly complicated messy situation um, in my life and what that means is people that I really love are are suffering they're just suffering and I want I'm so desperate to help. <laughs> somewhere, and it's a, that's not a bad impulse, but then also somewhere in my mind, and this is my own pride, goes, I'm probably a big part of the solution to this. Like, that's kind of where my mind goes. And I want desperately to help Mr. Fix-It, you know what I mean? And a bunch of, don't elbow your husband right now, that'd be rude, but like, mister I got, th- I got this, <laughs> all right? Um, anyway, in, in, in one day, I got two very clear, very direct prophetic words from two different people, one local, one not lo- local. One aware of the situation, not aware of the situation. And they said to me almost exactly the same thing. They called me and said, hey, the, the Lord says you got, you got two cards to play in this situation. You fast and you pray. And that's it. And I was like, ooh, I don't know. I got it. I'm pretty good with words. Uh, maybe I should say some stuff. <laughs> and I think yeah, I think God needs me to worry a lot. That's important to this situation. And then I get another phone call. Hey man, you got two moves and for everything else, you've been benched. You fast and you pray and that's it. Now here's the thing. You might just as an aside here, you might hear that story and say, man, I wish God would speak to me like that. Like to get two very clear matching prophetic words in the same day like that's really cool that he did that and it is it super kind that the Lord would be that clear with me but you know what the truth is the truth is that wasn't even the first time he told me the same thing a week before and I just didn't obey him I just thought no nah, I don't think that's right I don't think that's the answer I, I I feel like I've got a lot to bring and I also want to eat a lot so I don't think that's the answer. (laughs) And the thing is, that came to me in a whisper. And I actually think that's the way the Lord... We love the stories about when God speaks in a booming voice, and they're cool. Like, I think that's a booming voice moment, and that's cool. But I think he prefers to speak in a whisper, and often when he speaks in the loud, booming voice, it's because we didn't... Because he had to get louder, because we weren't listening to the whispers, and that's that's actually what happened to me. So before you think, oh, I wish God would speak to me like that, I was like, I don't know, maybe you're just listening to him in the first place. Um... Yeah, but here's the thing. I got, in some sense, benched. <laughs> um, that wasn't mean. It, it was kind. It was a gift. The fact is, God loves the people I'm concerned about way more than I do. And I'm not at the center of that or any other story. It's not about me. It's not about, about what I bring to the table. God's fine. <laughs> he doesn't need me. And I, honestly, I can't begin to tell you how much better I feel How much freer I am. And when you know it, the situation's starting to improve, even without me doing this. Imagine that. Uh, Verse 4. I love this verse. Really helpful. Let each person examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. I know you guys would never compare yourselves with others. But for maybe one of you who might be inclined, it's actually, now that's not the move. The question we're asking ourselves uh, today is, is what is it that we can do for ourselves? And, and I would submit to you that's the second one already. Paul says, first, you can recognize that you're not at the center of the story. Some of us carry the burden as if the, whole way, the weight of the world is on our shoulders. It's not. You'd die. You couldn't carry it. He didn't ask you to carry it. And there's a real freedom in going, yeah, it's actually not on me. And, and then secondly, he goes, if you, know, you want to do something for yourself? you Stop playing the comparison game. How about that? How about stop comparing yourself to others? Because, man, that's, a, that's this ongoing vicious cycle. Um, this reminded me of something um, Solomon said, wisest man who ever lived, so we should probably listen. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4, he said, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. That's very clear language. Well, here's what's happening. Paul is noticing what Solomon noticed a thousand years before, which is that it seems like people everywhere are full on obsessed with comparing themselves with other people. Do I match up? Am I, as, am I as whatever as they are? Can I be? Can I pass them? Can I get them in my rearview mirror? This weird competitive thing that we do. And Solomon speaks into that and he was like, Hey, I think all toil comes from this. Like this is fueling an incredible amount of our lives. So much of our energy is coming from the comparison trap. Um, Andy Stanley, who's a really good communicator, you may know that name. Um, he called this living in the land of Ur. So if you're a if you're a church kid. Then that's a play on words for the land of Ur's. You are in the Bible, Ur, uh, but here this is this is Er, and we're living in the land of Er where we're obsessed with the ideas of being smart, Er, hot, Er, rich, Er, thin, Er, tall, Er, more popular, Er. I cheated on that one, um, and we go on and on, right? More successful, Er. It gets weird, but but like that's it. And he goes, "We're stuck. We're living in the land of Er, and it's the comparison trap." And our boy Solomon, again, wisest man who ever lived, looks around and at the risk of hyperbole goes, You know what? All of your toil comes from this. All of it. He goes, This is it, guys. Like the whole stinking thing. It's the land of Ur. And then he adds this, and the whole charade is meaningless. This doesn't mean a thing. The whole exercise that fuels so much of our lives, the comparison trap, is chasing after the wind. And I think we should point out Solomon's perspective here is really pretty unique. Because he's like maybe one of the only people ever who actually got all of the things that he was chasing after. He got there. Uh, so, I, mean, I won't tell you the story, but Solomon kind of dominated life, man. And he actually lived He lived in the land of Est. He was the strongest, the smartest, the richest. He was handsome. He was admired. He was really powerful. He was very, very rich and very, very famous. And guess what he found out? It didn't matter. It didn't satisfy. He's just about the only guy who could say, you know what? I actually got all the stuff I ever wanted. And it turns out none of it was actually what I needed. Turns out it was all meaningless, Solomon was like, he was like the dog who caught the car. Like, well, now what? (laughs) What do I do now? And what am I about now? He's stuck. All right, so there's that. We'll come back to it, though. Verse 5. For each person will have to carry his own load. Uh, We talked about this verse briefly last week. That word load, you should know, refers to the weight of a soldier's pack. It's just the stuff that every soldier's got to carry. And you got your load. Okay, and every person has to carry that load, it's yours to bear. Um, This is where I think the comparison trap can get a bit more subtle, but still really gnarly when we do it. Because sometimes we look around at the load that we've been asked to bear, and we look around at others and go, my load's heavier than theirs i got to deal with more of a mess. I've got more problems than they do. I've got, a, a, my background dictates, and we can go like, and we could do the comparison trap there and go, that's all they have to carry? That's nothing compared to what I have to carry. Or maybe you go through different phase in life where you're like, you know, I used to have like a nice light load. I was kind of cruising, and now I've got this big, heavy, burdensome thing. And our minds starts spinning on that. We get stuck in the comparison trap. We resent the people who have less stuff to carry than we do. We get increasingly frustrated with them and with ourselves and with our own exhaustion. And then we also start spinning on what did I do to end up with such a big and heavy load? And did I do something wrong? And did I mess everything up? And I just want to say this, and it's not sensitive, but I mean it in love. It's just the way things are. Like Life is just like that. Some people have really heavy loads and some people not so much. And I want to be very clear, don't miss it. It's not fair. It's not fair. Some people in this church, I think, the load that you've been asked to bear compared to the one that I've been asked, I can't even compare them. And I think, how do they get out of bed in the morning carrying a load like that? And to be very clear, it's not fair and here's what happens when things aren't fair we have a real tendency to shake our fist at God and say things aren't fair but it would be a lot more rational for us to look to God and say God thank you for giving me a heads up that life's not fair because he does again and again and again we are told throughout scripture it's not fair it rains on the just and the unjust there's lots of things that come your way that aren't your fault There's lots of wonderful things that come to other people that they didn't earn. Life's not fair. And and again, we get mad at God about that, but he's been very clear and upfront with us about that. I know that might be a little heavy-handed. I think it's a lot of today's sort of a theme, a lot of straight talk from, from Paul and Solomon and Aaron. It's just one of those days, just... It's a toothpaste and orange juice kind of morning. You know, it's like, they're both good for you. Just take it down. Here we go. Life's not fair. Life's not fair. And they go, but but, but their load is so much smaller and lighter than mine. And they don't have to deal with it. And hey, goes, hey, Paul would say, look, the load that you've been given, that's your work. That's your work. And in verse four, he says, examine your work. Focus on that. Carry it well. Don't compare it to the load that others are asked to carry and what's been given to them. That's not your problem. It's not your concern. Remember, the whole overarching message of the book of Galatians is freedom. And so Paul would say, if you want to be free, carry what's yours to carry and then have the satisfaction of a job well done. That you carried it. That's what he's saying in verse four. you You can be proud of your own work. That's okay. The fact is, when you're stuck in the comparison trap, it keeps you from being proud of your own work. You work hard towards something. You accomplish it. You've done well. And the Lord would say, well done. You've carried the load that's yours to carry. And you look around and go, but I'm not as far along as that person. Or I didn't make it as far as they did. Or they're still ahead of me. And you never get the satisfaction of a job well done. And Paul says, actually, just stop and examine the work that you do. And if it's a good, be proud of the work that you've done. Appreciate your own good work. You carried your load. And stop comparing it to the load that others are given. Paul says something similar to this, to the Thessalonians. I love this verse. Oh, we can just take him at his word on this one. Verse 11. Uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. I wonder... If that's ever been a goal of yours, here we go. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. You guys getting that? Did you catch that? Let me put it in a little bit more modern vernacular. Here's what, here's what he says The Bible just told us to shut up, it's there. I'm not reading between the lines. Shut up. Mind your own business. Put your nose to the grindstone and do work you can be proud of. It's right there. Sorry, again, toothpaste and OJ today, but here we go. And that's what we see in verse 4. Again, let each person examine his own work. He can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. All right, let's move on. Paul starts teaching us how to actually do this because as many of you have found out, as I have certainly found out, you cannot just decide to leave the comparison trap. It's a trap. It's hard to get out of a trap. That's the nature of a trap, and it's hard to get out of it. So he starts telling us in very practical ways here. Uh, Verse 6 says this, "'Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher.'" Now, um, this verse, seems like it's coming out of nowhere. It's like, what, what? That's a clutchless shift right there. Um, But it it doesn't really, so stick with me. Paul is beginning to teach us, something we've hinted at already, which is that we have to shift our focus outward. Like, we've got to stop, we got to stop viewing everything through the lenses of our own reality Look past our own noses. Start building goals and dreams and ambitions that are about something larger than ourselves and about our own preferences and well-being. Shifting our focus, again, away from the individual and then more to a collective, to a family, to those in need, etc. cetera. And, and here's what he's saying, and this is, very, this is so practical. He's saying financial giving is actually a really big part of that. Here's why, because... I say this a lot. I think it's super true. Well, I know it's true. Jesus said it. Men, money lends itself to mastery. Okay? This is why Jesus said, you have to choose who you're going to serve, God or money. Well, why do you pick money? Because money wants to have our heart, it wants to own you. You want to own it. I get it. Okay? So do I. You want to own it. But let's not lose sight of the bigger picture here, which is it wants to own you. And that's why generosity in any form is this incredible declaration of freedom from that. It's saying, oh, not only will I not be enslaved by the rat race and the comparison game where I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, whoever that might be. Sorry if your name is Jones. You can just get plugged in for lots of things. Not only am I not doing that, I'm going to give above and beyond a way to, to help others and to, to devalue my own cause in some sense. Now, in verse 6, the specific application here I think is plenty, plenty clear. We'll read verse 6 again. Let the one who is taught, I, that would be you, um, the one who's taught the word, share all good things with the teacher, that would be me. So, in other words, if you have a boat, you have to share it with me. <laughs> Thus saith the B I B L E. Okay. Uh, it's not what it's about. That's not it at all. Um, you're like, I, like, I don't want to trust him with my boat. You shouldn't. Okay. Um, what this is actually about, it's about valuing people who serve in the life of the church. Okay. It's so broader picture here. Uh, the good news is, by the way, if you give faithfully to this church, then you're already doing this. All right. So it's like, what's that look like in our context? Here's what it looks like. Our financial board sets my salary. They do it with wisdom and fairness while they walk with Jesus. That all comes from your giving. So if you give to the church, you're doing this check. All right. um, now, some of you might be like, oh, I'm new to the church or new to this church. How do we think about it? Let me Let me just do a quick little thing about giving specifically to the church. What we, what we see in the Old Testament. Don't worry, it's quick. What we see in the Old Testament is really clear. Um, it's, it's called tithing that's giving 10% of your income. And it's, so, it's just crystal clear, black and white. Move the decimal, write the check, the end. And then in the New Testament, though, there's a shift. It becomes something much more dynamic. The examples we see of giving, and, and tithing is still discussed, even Jesus references it, but but what the the lion's share of the examples we give are of people who are walking with Jesus, walking in obedience to the Lord, the Lord directs them in what they do, they trust the Lord, and they obey. That's the goal, all right? So the language we use around here, we talk about using tithing as a template, like the stuff in the Old Testament, like that, that matters, and so maybe that's a goal that you work toward, or maybe that's something you build upon, a starting point, and you go from there, okay, Fine. But the real goal is what we see in the New Testament. And that's what we should be striving for, which is we hear from the Lord, we trust him, we do as he leads, and know that he'll provide both for you and for the people you're serving. So that's that's that spiel. Again, I just want to I know it's a weird subject. Um I and look, if if you've got some hurts connected to this or some stories in your background, then you're probably not inclined to believe me when I say this, and fair enough, like I'm not offended. But um like, this is not at all. I'm not, I'm not addressing this so that we can try to, you know, bump the church's income. <laughs> and Paul's not trying to bump his own income. He was supported by the churches. That's not what he's trying to do either. So I want to be very clear. Let's not lose the bigger picture because that's a, I know that's, I, w- I want to be sensitive to the fact that that's, a, that's a tough subject for a number of reasons. But let's not miss the big picture, which is, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about you and me getting out of the comparison trap and plain and simple, so much of that, of getting out of that trap, is about putting money in its place. About you deciding that the voice, the, the size of how, how loudly is money going to speak into your life? Because it wants to scream. And you get, the, you get the choice to turn it down and do it in accordance with the teachings of Scripture. It's about putting money in its place because, and you know this is true if you think about it, so much of our comparison problem is centered around money. So much of it. That's why he's addressing it here. If we want out of that rat race, then generosity is your declaration of freedom from that. And just as importantly, and again, themes he's already hitting, with that comes a shift in priorities where you're beginning to express value in the family, in a collective, you're seeing beyond your own nose, all of that stuff. Um, We care about what we invest in. If we want to care about something beyond ourselves, we should invest in something beyond ourselves. That's why Jesus said very clearly, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Generosity in in all its forms, whether it's with time or money or the poor, all these things, um, it's a call to be intentional and thoughtful and prayerful about where you put your treasures. Let's keep going, verses 7 to 10. 7 and 8 are sort of the pinnacle here. He says this, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Now, he's hinted at this along the way several times. I've kind of pointed out as we go, this is why this series is called Seeds and Harvest, because this is the big idea that he's moving toward. Uh, The type of seed we sow determines the type of harvest that we reap. And then he adds in verses 9 and 10, let's not get tired of doing good, for we'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Okay, so... I really don't think I can overstate this. This is one of these just super big lenses through which you understand everything principles. It's one of the principles that govern our lives that we all probably know and understand already. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. If you put good seed in the ground, you get good fruit. If you put bad seed, you get bad fruit. Pretty simple. And there's also this idea of multiplication, too, which is also very clear in the illustration. You put a tiny little seed in, and this big old thing grows from it. And it's a big old good thing, or it's a big old nasty thing, depending on the type of seed you put into the soil. All right. So that, a quick aside, by the way, on this, on this multiplication thing, especially because of the larger context. The multiplication thing gets twisted into a money thing, so let me just I just want to address it. Um, you guys, unfortunately, you know the drill. You probably know where this is going. You listen to some slimy preacher with no fear of God. I shouldn't have said it that directly, but fair enough. Um, says something along the lines of, Give a hundred dollars and God will give you a thousand dollars or other such bull crap. Sorry, mom. Bull. It's, oh no, it's bull crap. Okay, so (laughs) that, and that's what they say. You know, give in order to receive, right? You give lots and then God will give you money. And I just want to be so clear about that. That's just extortion and it's manipulation. And you should turn and run from anyone who says that or even implies it. It's, the the nerve and the gall to say something that like that following the verses that just say God will not be mocked and they use those verses to mock God I wasn't going to say any of these things I have to yeah here we go <laughs> Selah just give me a second <laughs> right. the principle I'm sorry I did the last service too okay the principle is that it's very simple if we invest good stuff which includes money, sure, but also includes time or prayer or kindness or any form of devotion or walking with Jesus, then that will give rise to more good stuff. And that multiplied good stuff that it gives rise to, hear me on this, can take whatever form God decides would serve you and his kingdom best. All right, we just serve good, we just sow good seed regardless of its nature and then he decides what kind of fruit It bears, all right? It might bear financial fruit. It might not. It's up to him. It's not up to you, and you want it that way anyhow, okay? Let me say this about that. Uh, Just This is Aaron's musing. You can take it or leave it. But I don't know the mind of God, obviously, um, but it seems logical to me that if you give money in order to get money back, then God will probably return with increase something other than money. Because if you give money in hopes of getting money back, then you probably have a love of money problem. And money probably has your heart. And so then probably God will give you something that will help rescue you from that and not further deepen the issue. I think it's logical, take it or leave it. All right, so, enough of that. Simple principle. Good seed, good fruit. Bad seed, bad fruit. And you get back, in bulk, what you put in. So what that means is, logically, you can look at what you're sowing now, and you can get a real sense of where you're headed, can't you? You can get a real sense of what's coming. Um remember, Paul said, examine the work that you do. So let's, let's do that. Okay. What kind of seed are you sowing? That's the question I'd love for you to wrestle with. What kind of seed are you sowing? Let me just help you out a little bit with that. If you're stuck in the comparison trap, I love you. You're sowing bad seed. You're giving your life to trying to win some non-existent prize based on rules that, were, that are constantly changing and nobody really knows, and it's all chasing the wind, and I hate to be this direct, but you're doing so all in the name of your own filthy, stinking pride. Like that's, I, I know it's common. I've been there. <laughs> uh, that's bad fruit. Um. If you're giving your life to something, on the other hand, to something larger than yourself, through a worldview where you don't see everything through the lenses of your own perspective and your own needs and your own insecurities, instead, you're thinking about people beyond yourself, you're seeing past your own nose, and you're and, and you're giving your life to the people you love, to your family, to your church, to the to the poor, to the powerless, to the kingdom of God, to walking with Jesus, to carrying your own load and helping other people carry theirs. That's good seed. And that'll bear good fruit. And God alone decides what kind of fruit that looks like. We reap what we sow. You gotta you got see past your own nose. Again, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. The bitter irony, and this is, this is, this is rough, man. I, and I, I've heard versions of this many times, and so have you. Um, we'll hear people say, or think out loud, you know, I just, I just got to get myself sorted out, right? I got to focus here on me and think about me, focus on me. And then once I get this mess sorted out, then I can shift my focus and look to others and look to help others. Um, when I hear people say things like that, like my irony meter explodes because all along the very thing that's keeping them from getting their mess sorted out is their relentless focus on themselves. The very thing that, they're rescue, that will rescue them, which is moving outward and seeing past their own noses, is the very thing they're refusing to do because of the mess that they're in. All right, so don't, don't fall for those lies. Okay, all right, that's, that's enough for me. You guys can stand for prayer if you are able. And then um, we're just gonna take a minute or two to reflect here, and then we'll sing another song to wrap up. I just want to, with this sowing and reaping thing, I just want to give one more, one more quick example here. The best, most vivid examples of, of the fruit of sowing and reaping is very, very old people, okay? Some of you are old. None of you are very old. I'm not talking to any of you, okay? But you know some very, very old people. Have you noticed, have you noticed that very, very old people are either the most wonderful saintly, incredible, like how can you be this loving and other-centered? It's unbelievable. They're like the best people in the world or they're full on the worst people in the world. Like how can you be this frail and still have such incredible energy to express vile toward others? And then, or on the other hand, that, that same person, just, it's incredible. It's like these waves of love just emanating off of them. Why? Well, here's the thing. I mean, it's not so black and white and we all sow different kinds of seeds at different time. And I do believe that people change, but for the most part, people don't change. And they keep sowing either bad seed or they keep sowing good fruit, good seed. And by the end of their lives, you see the fruit of it. They're the best people or they're the worst people. I think it's just a really vivid demonstration. I think it's uh, George Orwell who said, at 50, everyone has the face they deserve. <laughs> you heard that? Like you move out with a scowl, that begins to show. You move out with a smile, and it begins to show. You move, people almost begin to turn in on themselves physically when they do so. So, what kind of fruit you're bearing now will indicate what you're going to be down the road. So, it's worth taking the time, as Paul said, to examine the work that we're doing, the seed that we're sowing. So, Lord, would you speak to us? I encourage you now to close your eyes, bow your heads, you take the vineyard pose if you like, but just some sort of posture of receiving from the Lord. And God, we just want to say, we love you. We want to live for you. We want our lives to be pleasing to you in every way. And so we just want to ask you, Lord, would you would you show us the kind of seed that we're sowing? If we're like stuck in the comparison trap, would you help us to see that? Would you help us to look past ourselves through generosity of of money? Yes, but time and all the ways that we move past ourselves and look to others, and from that the perspective that realize we can actually be rescued from the comparison trap. Would you help us to see it? What kind of what kind of seed are we sowing? And from there, we just we just want to listen and respond to you.